Khuni, The Crimes of India is a thoroughly researched podcast that uses publicly available documents, reports and books and associated media to provide listeners with a complete picture of the week's case. The following content is often graphic and regularly uncomfortable. Mentions of assault, bodily harm and death may follow. Khuni, The Crimes of India does not condone any actions mentioned in the episode. Minors are advised to exercise caution before proceeding. Thank you. Namaste, Namaskaram, welcome to Khuni, the Crimes of India. As usual, I'm Sneha, sitting in Hyderabad and across me, is a very 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 frustrated aditi oh god i hate it so much i feel like my whole life is on pause but then i also know that maybe probably 2% of the population that is not actually suffering like the rest like i have food shelter water medicines and i'm not being turned away from hospitals for being muslim so dude I had such big travel plans for 2020 you know that okay yeah <laughs> guess i just have to sit at home now and watch travel vlogger videos and imagine myself doing the actual traveling fuck ye ho gaya yaar i think even actual travel vloggers are imagining themselves doing actual traveling <laughs> so it's fine let me tell you something funny so i was supposed to be in florida for their memorial day weekend and the friend who i was going to meet so her and i we decided <laughs> that we'll sit and have a zoom meeting with the florida background that day that's how my life is right now I don't think even your friend in Florida is supposed to be out on beaches in Florida or maybe she is I know, I'm not sure. I've heard their governor is weird. Dude, everybody in Florida is weird. <laughs> okay. Anyway, on that note, today's episode and the next episode and maybe then one after that all we're going to talk about is hashtag #wanderlife. since i know there are a lot of people like me who are just waiting to get out and explore new places but are currently just sitting at home and looking at their windows this one's for you our next few episodes will take you on a journey that begins in vietnam goes to paris and ends in nepal and on the way meanders through senegal india Thailand, Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan, Turkey, Switzerland, Eastern Europe, Geneva, Hong Kong, Macau and Singapore. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seat belts and get ready for the journey of a lifetime. I'm not kidding. Welcome to the story of the criminal mastermind extraordinaire who's also called the gem thief and is a fraudster. wannabe cult leader and serial killer charles gurumukh sobraj okay wow that is quite some introduction look a lot of people might say that charles sobraj was not an indian and i mean that literally india refused to give him citizenship and may ask us why we are covering him 
So firstly, his father was an Indian businessman who was settled in Vietnam. And secondly, he committed his fair share of smuggling, robbery and murder in India. And lastly, and most importantly, he was apprehended by the Delhi police and spent around 20 years in the famous Tihar jail. And my God, did he have them all on his fingertips, right? He got five-star treatment in Tihar jail, right? Listen, who didn't? If you had cash, you got the treatment you wanted. Anyway, yeah, we've already covered that. Before we begin his story, let's look at our sources for today and what we used for all these episodes. The first book I've read is called On the Trail of the Serpent, The Life and Crimes of Charles Sobraj by Richard Neville and Julie Clark. Neville was the founder and editor of Oz, a popular counterculture magazine that started in Australia and also ran in the UK. Now, they interviewed Charles when he was in Tihar and thus most of the book comes straight from the horse's mouth. Another thing for me which adds to the bona fides of this book is the fact that they interviewed everybody, the man himself, his family, his mentor, law enforcement agencies in Thailand, Nepal and Europe. Plus, both the authors had actually travelled on the hippie trail and Julie Clark actually stayed in Hotel Malaysia in Bangkok where Charles used to trap tourists. And in this book, Neville writes that Julie was never really comfortable around Charles and on the last day, get this, Charles actually asked her why he makes her uncomfortable. Dude. (laughs) What colossal lack of self-awareness. Dude, we'll see a lot of that. (laughs) Now, uh, Neville was commissioned by Random House to write this book because of his quote-unquote experience on the hippie trail. He was such a colourful personality. I mean, I read quite a bit about him also. Now, so colourful that he once inhaled marijuana on TV so he can test its effect on one's ability to drive. Wow, that is a manic commitment to your job. Okay, the next book I've read for this mammoth, mammoth project is Serpentine, the true story of a serial killer's Reign of Terror from Europe to South Asia by Thomas Thompson. Okay, this book seems like a fantastical account of Sobraj's life and made him seem like a very mythical creature. It's sort of like, you know, imagine if I wrote a book on Bretley. It's sort of like that. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, while reading the book, look, I couldn't help but wonder how much of it was actually true, like whether or not he was actually, like the way he writes, you would have thought, you know, he was actually there at Charles's trial or, you know, at, at Bangkok when robberies were happening, things like that. But I mean, I don't know. There's no actual evidence that he actually met him or anything. If there was, I couldn't see it. And the third book we referred is called Charles Subraj Inside the Heart of the Bikini Killer by Ramesh Koirala who was the heart surgeon who operated on Charles in Nepal in 2018. See, it's a good book if you want to get insights into Charles, who is now obviously past his heyday and apparently scared of getting heart surgery and all that. But apart from that, it covers the same basic, nothing new. Okay, so let us now begin the story of the man known as the Bikini Killer, the Serpent, and the splitting killer. 
Charles Gurumukh Sobraj. Charles Sobraj was born as Hathchand Bhavnani Gurumukh Sobraj to a Vietnamese shop girl, Tran Luang Phun, also known as Noi, and Indian Sindhi businessman Sobraj Hathchand Bhavnani, who was based in Saigon in Vietnam. Charles's mother was originally from a small village in Vietnam and came to Saigon, the Pearl of the Orient, after the death of her parents. Saigon back then was a bustling and glamorous city. She began working as a shop girl in a menswear shop in Rue Katinath and was quickly promoted to cashier. I'm sorry if I butchered that pronunciation. I'm not really a native French speaker. but So, so Rue Katinath is the most historic street in Saigon and It's like the Champs-Élysées of the city in its heyday, housing the city's most famous hotels, restaurants, bars, boutiques, and retail establishments. It was named for Nicolas Catinat, a marshal of France between 17th and 18th century. In the course of the 20th century, the street has undergone two name changes. Between 1955 and 75, in the thick of the war and the American occupation, it was known as Tu Do or Freedom Street. Consequently, once North Vietnam conquered the South, its name was changed once again to the present Dung Hai or Total Uprising Street. Today, the street has lost much of its glamour and elegance, with many of its colonial era buildings and even sidewalks in dire need of repair. It is still the premier street in Ho Chi Minh City for luxury hotels, goods, antiques, art galleries, much like, it, how, much like how it was before the war. Quite miraculously, a majority of its famous establishments, in particular all of its famous hotels, continue to exist, albeit in a restored and revised form. So Noe began seeing her employer, Hachan Sobraj, romantically and moved into his large flat above one of his tailoring shops. On April 6, 1944, just as the Viet Minh were launching their guerrilla campaign against the Japanese who took over Vietnam from the French, Noe gave birth to a baby boy, Gurmukh Sobraj. She gave her child his father's surname. However, this baby boy would grow up to have many, many names. As a young boy, he was christened Charles after the French president, Charles de Gaulle. One day, when Charles was a year old, him and Noe were kidnapped by a local gang and a ransom note was immediately sent to Hachan. Hachan, a shrewd businessman, had contacts everywhere, including in the Japanese army. Now, when the gang came to collect the ransom, they were ambushed and Noe and the baby were rescued. Growing up, Charles may not have remembered the exact event, but it has been proven that children remember the anxiety of a stressful situation even though they forget the actual event. And when Charles was three, Noe became pregnant again. This time though, Hachan returned from a visit to India and announced that he married an Indian girl in Pune. And since it was arranged by his family, he could do nothing about it. Oh my god. Fucking loser. Doesn't this sound like every single (laughs) Indian story? (laughs) 
I'm not going to generalize just so just because I want to avoid blowback. But oh my god! Anyway, yeah. let's just move on. Thereafter, Charles's parents were divorced, and his father deserted the family. Mm-hmm. Stateless at first, Subraj was adopted by his mother's new boyfriend, a French army lieutenant who was called Jacques Rousseau, in Richard Neville's book. And there are different names actually in different books, but basically all we know is he was basically stationed in French Indochina. Now Noe married Jacques after the birth of her second child, a baby girl named Nicole. Jacques accepted Charles as his son, and also adopted the baby girl. Now, however, the four-year-old Charles was a difficult child. He refused to accept Jacques as his father, and kept wanting to return to Hutchin. Soon, Jacques was posted back to Marseille, and Noe decided to leave Charles with his birth father, Hachand, and the fa- and his family. The family saw Charles move to Marseille, and according to an article titled "Unmasking Mass Depression in Children and Adolescents" in the American Journal of Psychiatry, children with a depressed depressive disorder may also exhibit behavior disorders. that overshadow the actual dis- depression look now it is possible that maybe charles was just acting out because he was depressed as the F- french vietmin war raged on france was in desperate need of soldiers in vietnam and jacques was posted back to saigon this saigon however was very different from the prospect prosperous saigon that noe had left a couple of years ago As soon as she reached Saigon, she immediately went in search of Charles. Now, Charles, who was left behind to live with Hachan, was now living as a street urchin because Hachan's Indian wife, who by the way had moved back into Saigon by then, Geeta, had left him to look after himself. Charles, at this point, seemed to actually enjoy this life of back alley hustling in a booming war town. Noe would have none of this. With Hutchins' agreement, she registered her rights of maternity at Saigon Town Hall and took Charles back to the Russell family. In a time where there was disorder and instability around him, Charles had, at a very young age, learned how to survive on his own. He observed the people around him and saw them committing petty crimes to make a quick buck and fend for themselves, and he imbibed. all of these behaviors when we discuss the exploits of an adult charles sobraj we will see that he displays a cocktail of behavior that suggests severe narcissism he has a grandiose sense of self importance he is entitled and exploitative he cares very little for the needs of others and we can pinpoint certain incidents from his childhood which may have contributed to a sense of grandiosity that he developed as an adult so when he was about 7 years old noe took him to the cinema now charles decided that he did not want to see this movie and his mother just to avoid another tantrum agreed to take him to another cinema across the street after the show as the two were walking out they saw that the first cinema hall had been bombed by the vietmen Noe hugged him tightly and said that he had saved both of them. Now think of what that would do to an impressionable mind. 
This is a kid whose father deserted him at a young age, and even when the father took him in, he was neglected. He constantly felt alienated in his new family. So when Noe says your behavior is the reason we are alive, Charles takes this to be a sign that he is special and invincible. No doubt this is almost a life-saving divine coincidence, but it is a coincidence nevertheless. And you have to be predisposed to narcissism to believe that your douchey little tantrum makes you a boy wonder. In 1953, Jacques was granted home leave and the whole family was to relocate to France. Charles was distraught at the news. He had no intention of leaving Vietnam. He despised his mother, Jacques and his siblings. He used to keep running away to his father's home all the time. Noe would constantly worry about her son. I mean, the first time he ran away, she thought that uh, he had been kidnapped again and was frantic until he was returned by his father's servants. She took to locking him up, but he managed to escape over and over again. And maybe this laid the foundation for the many times he would go on to stage daring escapades from prisons all over the hippie trail. He planned to escape on the morning before they left for France as well. But he overslept and woke up only as the ship was leaving Vietnam on the South China Sea. And Charles threw (laughs) a fit. But barely a few months had passed in France when Jacques was ordered to go back to Vietnam. But his mother faced what I considered a very reasonable dilemma at this point. She had a problem child who refused to adjust to his new family and obstinately rejected the man who was trying very, very hard to be the father that Hathchand equally obstinately was refusing to be to Charles. I mean, it is not difficult to imagine that this must have been a massive strain on the family. And no doubt, Charles would not have been immune to the stress. I mean, he was now chronically bedwetting. It is possible that this was the result of psychological regression caused by the anxiety of separation from his father and feeling alienated from his family. Noe took him to one doctor after another with no results. Eventually, she gave up and resorted to traditional Vietnamese remedy of knotting a piece of string around his penis at night. Uh, What? Look, I don't have a penis, but... That sounds super painful and like so, so unhygienic. Yeah, and utterly useless. It also makes me wonder what the traditional Vietnamese remedy for bedwetting is in Mm. case of girls. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so in order to spare everyone involved some pain... His mother enrolled him and his sister in a boarding school in France and left with the rest of the family to Jacques's posting in Vietnam. This must have devastated Charles. Not only had his family abandoned him, but he was now stuck in a country that he didn't even want to be in the first place. And boarding school was brutal for him. I mean, he was a total misfit here. He did not know the language. He looked different. So he must have been the butt of a lot of racist bullying. He wrote many unanswered letters to his mother. By now, Charles was sure that his family had forgotten about him. And also for some odd reason, no one thought of arranging visits between him and his sister Nicole. He went on to resent Nicole as well because she grew up speaking French and was adjusting pretty well to the school. 
he also had nowhere to go uh, in the end of term holidays and so he stayed on in school and when the other boys returned for the next term he was being made fun of for being the boy that no one loved i mean i don't think i was bullied a lot as a child but there was this one guy who bullied me a lot for my weight in class 12 like fag end of school and it didn't even stop him even like after the school was over and i think it was a little complicated because he was a friend so i had to roll with the punches and i had to be i had to pretend to be okay with it like even though i was not <laughs> so after a while i started making fun of him for his short height anyway we are not really friends anymore predictably yeah good for you <laughs> now <laughs> i was bullied for being bigger and taller than most people in my class and it wasn't like everybody who did it and it was not very frequent but it was always mm-hmm. like this small section of these little chutia kids who were i know <laughs> not as smart as i was mainly yeah. cat calling and stuff but still hurt the same now some of the insecurities i have today were stuff that started back in school and mainly attributable to these people in fact some of these idiots back then were people who actually wanted to cheat off me in tests <sighs> assholes yeah, yeah. but okay things right now i mean like whatever now one of my current best friends was someone who bullied me a lot but um, you know we all grew up we met again mm-hmm. after a few years after school and there was a lot of there was a, an apology involved and a bit of skepticism mm-hmm. on my part for a bit but now we're mm-hmm. great friends and i know it was difficult for them to reach out and apologize and not everyone is made that way yeah according to a study conducted by national institute of justice of the us department of justice childhood neglect has been shown to increase the risk of later forms of antisocial behavior including violence perpetration and crime in adulthood so charles's biological father clearly did not want anything to do with him and his mother seemed to be torn between wanting to take care of charles and to do right by her new family the resentment towards his mother just grew stronger during his time in france but to me it is interesting that he did not resent hathchen the same way despite the fact that after charles if there is a villain to the story it is most definitely the cheating family abandoning philandering hathchen who could not have cared less about his son if he tried I think one of the reasons was his father's success and all the riches. It's possible that Charles only cared about superficial achievements and not emotional depth in people. Life with Hathchand meant luxuries and class, whereas life with Jacques was unglamorous. Jacques offered acceptance and stability, but that was obviously not enough for Charles. Even at a later stage as an adult, Charles's relationships would remain purely transactional. People would always be dispensable to him. Look, if Charles did not grow up to be Voldemort, I would have pitied him, you know, for his Harry Potter type childhood. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> Soon Noe and Jacques returned to France. Now, Richard Neville in the book talks about how Charles, when he saw his mother who came to pick him up from the boarding school, could not understand the language she spoke because he'd forgotten it. He had forgotten the language of his homeland. Another blow to the boy who already felt alienated from everyone around him. However, he was going to get more bad news. 
His mother told him that Harchand had died and Charles cannot go back to him. The family now moved to Dakar in Senegal, a French protectorate. By this time, Noe had seven children. Two with Harchand, five with Jacques. Charles was the undisputed leader of his siblings. They all looked up to him and followed him everywhere. One day, he took Nicole and one of his half-brothers, Jean Daniel, to steal sweets from a store near their house. They were almost caught. But due to Charles's quick thinking, they were able to outwit the night watchman and escape with the sweets. It was that day Charles realized that people only see what they expect to see. One of his learnings that would help him again throughout his life of thievery and murder. The next day, when Nicole and Jean Daniel tried this, they were caught. Noe whipped them mercilessly. This shop, however, became the place where Charles perfected his skills of thievery and soon he outgrew the sweet shop. He acquired a transistor radio and the other children soon realized that they could point out whatever toy they liked in the markets in Dakar and there was a good chance that Charles would present it to them a few days later. Dude! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, Charles was enrolled in Orientation College, Dakar, and after seeing his abysmal academic performance, Jacques pulled him out. I mean, he was a 15-year-old in a class of 12-year-olds. And he put Charles to work in a friend's garage. And Charles was fired from there also. Apparently, he reversed the wires on the electrical transformer and almost burnt the building down. We will later see that this taste for burning things will continue well into this future and become one of his favourite ways of disposing of the bodies of his victims. Well, more on that later. Charles despised the Frenchman because he could not provide the level of luxury known to them in Saigon with Hatschand. Soon after, Charles stole money from his mother and tried to escape to Saigon. He did not believe that his father was dead. His plan was to take a ship to Marseille and then to Saigon from Marseille. However, this was foiled as Jacques had already informed the police that Charles had run away and they were checking photo IDs of everyone boarding the ship. Charles ran away and Jacques found them. Again, as per usual, Jacques got posted back to France. This time, Jacques sent off Charles to an agricultural college in Miramars, 190 kilometers away from Marseille. And this time, Charles, armed with tales of Vietnam and Senegal, became one of the more popular students in his class. And for a while, he even applied himself to his studies. But then again, as we all know, nothing good lasted in Charles's life. And no, I'm not trying to be sympathetic here. Uh, a few weeks uh, after Charles's 16th birthday, Noe and Jacques received a telegram informing them that Charles had run away. Jacques eventually found him in a neighbor's garden in Marseille. But like just a random neighbor's garden. <laughs> he was just there. <laughs> Dude, he's a little, you know, like the French version of Dora the Explorer, okay? <laughs> what was he doing? Picking squash? What the fuck? <laughs> Anyway, everyone lied to me, said Charles. He found out that Hathchand was not dead 
and he demanded to be sent back to Saigon. It was then that Jacques told him that Hathchand now had two families, one in Pune with Geeta and one in Saigon with Chu, who was Charles's nurse. Oh, Hathchand, you philandering son of a bitch. Okay. Charles insisted that he wanted to go back to Saigon. So Jacques found Charles work in a restaurant, La Coupole, in Paris. And a few days later, this boy ran away from there also with a 14-year-old friend. They managed to hide in lifeboats of a ship that was sailing to Djibouti. And Charles planned to go to Saigon from there. It was aboard this ship that Charles learned another critical life lesson, at least to him. If you sit at a first-class table, he deduced, you could become a first-class passenger. Charles had tidied himself up, made friends with a group of teenagers like him at the bar. He danced, played games with them the whole night. And Charles spent the night in a deck chair. And in the morning, he wandered off to first-class dining rooms and very confidently picked up a croissant from the breakfast table. Oh, breakfast buffets. Something else that I miss in these godforsaken times. But dude, look at this guy's fucking confidence. I have to tell myself that it's okay to go pick up an extra croissant despite paying for the buffet. So, here's the thing. Charles is displaying characteristics of becoming a psychopath. In the book, Mask of Sanity, Harvey Cleckley highlighted the indicators of positive psychological functioning in psychopaths. With regards to anxiety, he wrote, Those called psychopaths are very sharply characterized by the lack of anxiety, remorse, uneasy anticipation, apprehensive scrupulousness, the sense of being under stress or strain. Well, we see Charles behaving like this throughout his life. Yeah, yeah. So all that mattered was appearances. People were easy to fool. The mantra of all scamsters in the world, before Charles, during Charles, and after Charles. However, Charles's adventure was cut short in Djibouti. The police were on the lookout for him, and him and his friends were sent back to Marseille on the same ship that got them there. At this point, I'm pretty sure all parties involved were sick and tired of Charles, and ultimately, Jacques wrote to Hathchand. I mean, I feel bad for Jacques. I mean, it sounds like the man was really, really trying. You know, unlike the deadbeat philandering Hathchand who never really gave a shit. Yeah, Jacques did try. And he tried a lot. Hathchand had come to Paris on business. He saw that his son was working a menial job. And like all Indian fathers, was not pleased. Wait, 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 wait. So his son was working a menial job and that upset him. But the fact that him and his Indian wife had thrown his son out on the streets when he was a toddler was A-OK, really. After all of Charles's adventure, his father should just be relieved that his son was at least making an honest living. What doof. <laughs> I mean, he's such a douchebag. Yeah. So Noe and him discussed and Hachan agreed with Noe to take the boy back with him to Saigon. But Charles didn't have any papers, which meant he could not travel. His father had left to go back to Vietnam. And Charles finally received his French passport and the visa to Saigon. Charles was elated. He can now go back to his homeland. Now he just eagerly waited for Hachan to send him the tickets that he promised. 
time passed and no ticket arrived charles began to doubt whether his father even remembered him he then decided to pay for his own passage to Sa- passage to saigon and to d- make money for the same he decided to rob a housewife but unfortunately he got caught however this lady would do the complaint charles was free to go but no turns out charles had broken and entered into the house of another woman and for this the juvenile court sentenced him to jail time in the meantime jacques was hospitalized in a mental health care facility he had fought in a few wars had difficulty sleeping at night probably because of the post traumatic stress disorder and that combined with the constant moving due to work family life and even maybe charles's behavior had a profound effect on his mental health and meanwhile while this was happening charles begged the second woman to forgive him in one of his court hearings and she told him to listen to his family and she forgave him and withdrew the complaint and he was set free and as one last favor before he fell ill jacques got charles a laze passe for one journey to saigon in 1961 charles finally reached saigon saigon was another completely different new world from the one that he'd left saigon was now full of americans and the viet cong this was the year that the us began to take an active role in vietnam and the peak of what americans now call the vietnam war and what the vietnamese called the resistance war against america this began in november 1955 and continued until the fall of saigon in 75 remember this because in our next episode we will talk about something else that emerged as a result of this war for now let's get back to charles in saigon he began to work for his father and reveled in his role as the son of a wealthy merchant but this 9 to 5 life did not hold his attention for too long but he still tried he took up karate but charles soon discovered gambling and girls and slowly started his own smuggling operation in the thriving duty free market a hairdresser who worked on, on one of the ocean liners agreed to supply him with his own duty free perfumes and cigarettes to start his business Charles stole from his father. Soon Hachan discovered his son's habit of gambling and now started to regret bringing Charles to Saigon. Frustrated, Hachan tried to arrange an Indian nationality for Charles and the official explained that to be a naturalized Indian citizen, Charles would have to live in India for at least a year, learn a dialect and acquire an understanding of indian culture <laughs> okay first of all it was just a year that's it back then it was just a year <laughs> also how the fuck do you is- evaluate someone's understanding of code indian culture and code and it seems to me that what charles needed was structure and discipline in his life i mean his dad needed to be how indian dads were at this point you know in the 60s this is the 60s or 50s 60s 
just a sec. Yeah, sixties. Yeah, by now sixties. Yeah. So in you know sixties dads were like emotionless martinets, and he <laughs> needed to be kept under watch all the time. And this whole sending to India business seems like a plan set up to fail. Charles was sent to live in India, and he escaped, and came back to Saigon, not once but twice. He hated India. He said he cannot live on a vegetarian-only diet. Do we know where he went in India? Where was he getting only a vegetarian diet? Yeah, so his uh, father's relatives lived in Pune, and he was sent to live with them. Oh. He hated the dal chawal life, dude. And most importantly, <laughs> he the thing is he didn't know either Marathi or Hindi, and the family he was put up with didn't know French, and both parties were frustrated. Hachan put him back on a ship to Bombay for the third time, and while on the ship, Charles found out that the ship. Goes to Marseille after Bombay. So was that his dad's plan all along? Ship him off to Marseille secretly? Ooh, you know, possible. <laughs> We don't know, but okay. Anyway, thus an eighteen-year-old Charles, after a disastrous trip to Saigon, found himself in France again. As a teenager in Marseille. He began to commit petty crimes and received his first jail sentence for burglary in 1963, serving time at Poissy Prison near Paris. While he was imprisoned, Sobraj eagerly manipulated prison officials into granting him special favors, such as being allowed to keep books in his cell. And he read a lot during this time. Around the same time, he met and endeared himself to Felix Lescornier, a wealthy Young man and prison volunteer. It was Felix who researched old laws and found out that Charles was eligible for French citizenship, thanks to a law of eighteen ninety eight regarding France's colony, Cochin China, which proclaimed that people born in Saigon at that time had the automatic right of French citizenship. After being paroled, Sobraj moved in with Dasconier and shared his time with. moving between the high society of paris and the criminal underground charles began accumulating riches through a series of burglaries and scams it was also at this time that sobraj met and began a passionate affair with shantal compagnie a young parisian woman from a very conservative family okay okay now the fun part aditi guess how he hit on her first day guess how 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 <laughs> Dude, he offered to read her palm. <laughs> Apparently, he told her that he can see a journey across two cultures. Kuch bhi. Oh my god! This lady was coming from a recent breakup, and obviously fell for his lines, hook, line, and sinker. Even Chantal, in all her love and blind devotion towards Charles, saw that he had a gambling problem. But like all the lovesick girls we know, was too enamored to say or confront him about it. See, actually, this girl was was like the child of a diplomat. She grew up all over uh, Africa. I think basically Morocco before coming back, and and she didn't know much of the world and how people like Charles work. So I don't know how much. Like I wouldn't blame her for it. Charles soon proposed to her. But he was arrested later on the same day for attempting to evade the police while driving a stolen vehicle. 
Charles was sentenced to eight months in the Evero jail, where he swallowed a spoon so he could be transferred to the prison hospital, which meant he could have longer visiting hours. During his sentence, he realized that God, who he had discovered while in the Poissy prison, and thanked him back then for sending him Felix, did not exist. Oh my God, was he sexually assaulted? Why did he stop believing in God? Uh, I don't know. I couldn't find any information on in any of the books. And in this prison, Charles renounced Christianity for meditation. What he learned in this prison is best expressed in the words of Richard Neville. Quote, He replaced prayer with meditation. In trying to get close to God, Christianity had lost touch with the reality of man, Charles reasoned. He resumed his studies in psychology, concentrating on the peculiarly French tradition of characterology, a system of personality study. This was the antithesis of psychology as expounded by Freud, Jung, and their descendants who sought to understand human behavior from within. Instead, characterology was an attempt to categorize people. It enabled its practitioners to predict and manipulate the behavior of those they encountered. In the books of the Sorbonne professor René Lassène, uh, who wrote Lying and Character, a treatise on characterology and later and a later popularizer, Gaston Berger, Charles absorbed a system for classifying people. From three basic divisions of character, Lassen formulated eight fundamental types. Fit your subject into one of these types, it was argued, and his tendencies become clear and predictable. Charles tested the system on himself. As for the first division, uh, emotive or non-emotive, he knew that he was emotional, judging from the frequency and intensity of his feelings, no matter how hard he tried to suppress them. Second, active or non-active. He was a type who took pleasure in action, not one to sit around, brooding without moving. And third, primary or secondary, Charles believed that he was not a primary, not one who was like a mirror to experience where all is recorded but nothing remains. Charles recognized himself as secondary, a type which is purported to react after rather than during the event. He saw himself as a prisoner of his own past. According to Lassen, that made him an EAS, category 1, known as passionate. Napoleon II was in this category. That's me, Charles thought, and delved deeper into Lassen, expanding his understanding of the other seven types, which he tested on fellow prisoners. Many French people use characterology along with graphology, the study of handwriting, to observe and construct their everyday relationships. For Charles, these bourgeois occupations would become a lethal tool to help him in the outside world. With the system of Lassen, he believed he could play people like pawns in a game of chess. Okay, so we should clarify here that characterology is pseudoscience. It was responsible for propagating racist theories like white Caucasians have larger brain capacity than <laughs> other ethnic groups. Yeah, and also may have been where the Third Reich got inspiration for their later ideas. Folks, remember this. Throughout his life, Charles always claimed that he got his victims using quote-unquote psychology. This is what he meant. He used this characterology. 
In fact, he said this so much that even his accomplices began to say this about him. You'll see all this in our future episodes. And yet, despite all this, Chantal remained supportive throughout the entirety of his sentence. Sobraj and Chantal were wed upon his release. Sobraj, along with a pregnant Chantal, left France in 1970 for Asia to escape arrest. This time because Charles kept writing checks when there was no money, and when the French police came for him, he decided to escape to Saigon with his pregnant wife. After traveling through Eastern Europe with fake documents and robbing tourists whom they befriended along the way, Sobraj arrived in Mumbai later the same year. Here, Chantal gave birth to a baby girl, Usha. The minute he got to Mumbai, Charles joined the Alliance Française Society. Chantal, with her good looks and manners, became everyone's darling. Through this, Charles got an opening into Bombay's high society, where names of designer brands like Rolex, Cartier, and Alfa Romeo rolled off people's tongues. Everyone wanted designer watches, clothes, and perfumes, expensive European cars, but due to Indian import laws, they could not acquire them. But thanks to Charles, they could. With a few fake passports and a pocket full of disguises, he could manipulate the black market to suit his needs. And why not? He had known how any black market works since he was six when he used to procure cigarettes for French army men stationed in Saigon. With his features and his command of languages like French, German, Spanish, he could pass off as Filipino, Puerto Rican, French, Italian, or English. His scheme was ingenious. This was at the height of the free love hippie movement, and Mumbai was bustling with ragged and backpacking travelers from Europe, who were always looking for pot, smack, or other like-minded travelers to travel with. Charles saw these travelers as a veritable buffet of passports. In fact, he hated their ways, but understood that they could make his scam work. He would sit in cafes like Deepthi's House of Drinks, which was a hippie hotspot, where travelers met each other, made new friends, sort of like how lobbies of most ho- travel hostels are these days, or like the many many cafes that we now have across places like Pushkar, Gokarna, Goa, where you get what you want for the right price. Trust me, they'll come to you. <laughs> But of course, Charles used to set up. For another purpose altogether, he used these places to scope out likely accomplices or simply to steal passports. One of the ways in which Charles then used these passports was to flawlessly execute a multiple-layered plan to give the rich young men of Bombay what they wanted the most—flashy new European-make cars. As back then, India only had one car factory. which produced the sturdy but extremely unfashionable ambassador car and the excise duty on the imported cars was sky high charles collected deposits from a few customers flew to geneva or frankfurt usually on a passport that was not his once in geneva he stole or bought in second hand the required number of cars he would then offer 200 american dollars to a gullible tourist heading east usually a backpacker to drive one of the cars to india via turkey iran afghanistan and pakistan or as richard neville puts it a convoy of flashy expensive cars 
followed Charles from Europe to Bombay. Once in Bombay, Charles showed the car to its future owner, took a further instalment and promised to present it to them with the proper papers. The next stop was to book a room in a hotel in the name that was convenient. The car, however, was taken to a garage where it was stripped of all its extras. Later, a car crash was staged, somewhere remote or in a back alley in Bombay. Now, Charles from the hotel called the police to report the accident while one of his accomplices removed the engine and the gearbox. The police report would state that the thieves had plundered the car. This made Charles entitled to sell it to the state trading corporation, which in turn would auction the car. One of his other accomplices would then buy the shell of the car and along with it, documents entitling him to its possession and of course not subject to excise taxes. The car would be returned to the garage, repaired, refitted and then presented to its purchaser, complete with the correct paperwork. No one could unravel this very intricately designed deception. Ingenious. I have to say this. I hate this guy, but he's ingenious. Slowly, Charles became a fixture in the Mumbai society. But all this money used to go out as fast as it was coming in. He used to gamble it all away in the casinos of Hong Kong and Macau. In fact... Once, he took Shantal on a romantic getaway to Hong Kong and gambled all his money away in the night and by morning he was in debt to a Chinese moneylender. You see, he had to leave Shantal as collateral in Hong Kong, fly back to Bombay, borrow money from his business partner and come back and pay the moneylender off so he can take Shantal home. You see, children, gambling is bad. I'm sorry, he left Chantal as collateral, his wife, mother of his child, a human being, as collateral. Also, his moneylender just agreed to take a human being as collateral. Is that what moneylenders did back in the day? Jesus. Anyway, what a journey so far from the streets of Saigon to high life in Mumbai via France and Senegal. I mean, this fellow could have written a travel guide and made a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, I think we can end this episode for now. If it was too detailed, blame me. I thought you all need to hear all the details about why he became a scam artist, smuggler and serial killer. Join us next week as we look at the next chapter of Charles's incredible journey, including prison breaks, smuggling and murder spread across the hippie trail. Let us know what you think. Please share your feedback on Insta and Twitter. All the links are given in the description box below. Bye.